It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, everybody, welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm the senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship, Fountain Valley, right here in Colorado Springs. And I am so excited to have you tuning in again today because we're continuing our study of 1 Corinthians. Now, uh, Pastor Perry Rolfs at our church did a fantastic job on 1 Corinthians chapter 2 as we spent some time last week and all the way up through verse 5. He picked it up, finished up the rest of that chapter. You can listen on our website at calvaryfountain.com. But let me pick up now on chapter 3, verses 1 to 9, and we're going to study what it means to be on either milk or meat. And this is probably something you have heard from time to time as we use that analogy often in our study going deeper in the Word of God of whether or not we are on milk or meat. So let me just start off with this. What do you think it takes to be successful in the world of team sports? It's definitely not sitting during the national anthem, I'll tell you that. Uh, but when we look at what makes a team successful is when, when they win the big one, for example, the championship. The only way that this happens, the only way that a team reaches that pinnacle is when they play together and they're committed to teamwork. You take the NBA Finals, for example, or the Stanley Cup Finals, or even now that we're into football season and each of you probably have a team that you're rooting for, maybe it's college football, whatever it might be, when they stick together, when they play together, they're together, they win championships. They have the talent. It's often when you have rogue pieces that are playing for themselves and not really for the team. Maybe they're playing for their own statistics, uh, trying to, to get drafted somewhere, and it's all about them. When they lose sight of teamwork, that they're in this together, then, then you rarely are going to see them succeed together. And similarly, what we find in the church, the church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is a team that serves together, stays together, and wins together. However, the team that becomes consumed with individual accolades will falter and ultimately be forgotten. Now here in chapter 3, verses 1 to 9, Paul is going to coach us to play up to our spiritual potential. So number one is we have to recognize our own shortcomings in so doing. Here's where we pick up 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 2. We read, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. So here for the fifth time, Paul addresses the believers in Corinth as brethren. The fact that he has used that already in chapter 1, verses 10, 11, 26, chapter 2, verse 1, and here in chapter 3, verse 1. So in spite of their deficiencies, he still considers them part of the family of God. And that is a message for us all right here and now, that we, despite our deficiencies, though we make mistakes, though we find ourselves in a broken state, just like this church of Corinth was in, we're still brethren, and how often we shun those who fail us and those we believe are failing God. It is easy to shun them. So rather than approaching them with grace and praying over them with love, we reject them and cast judgment. Well, most of us will agree that if we are in Christ, 
We are a family. But, but the reason why we don't treat other believers better than we do is most likely it's, it's because we're treating others like we treat our own family members. Now, now, you may be doing a decent job with your immediate family, but how about your weird uncles and your crazy aunts? How, how are you doing with them? Do you shun them too? You see, the concept of family is so distorted and skewed that when we examine how we treat others, it becomes evident that we share a warped sense of what is normal and healthy. It's easy to point out the flaws in others when we use ourselves as the baseline for comparison of, of what is right rather than the Scripture. The Scripture should always be our established baseline, but we often compare others to ourselves. So our perception of how we handle our affairs is generally healthier than how we perceive it in others. So the standard becomes self rather than Christ. And when we put on the mind of Christ as a result of inward transformation that we read about in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and Ephesians 4, 23, even Titus 3, 5, then we will start to think differently, and you may realize how far from right you actually are. If you want to see positive change in your family dynamic with coworkers or even with fellow church members, then the change starts with Christ working in you to change how you operate with others. We're a family, and it's time to, that we start acting like it. And he says, uh, the word translator here says, and I, cago is the word there, and it ties back to chapter 2, verses 1 to 5 that we discussed last week where Paul writes about his experience in Corinth. And during his 18-month ministry in Corinth, you go to Acts chapter 18 on that, he spoke to them as infants because they were new believers and perhaps were still acting like it. They may have been brand new to the faith, but they hadn't demonstrated maturity beyond that. So he gave them milk to drink because they were spiritually babes. And this is not meant to be a derogatory remark, but rather to recognize where they were in their faith. And every Christian has to begin its spiritual infancy, if you will. And there's nothing wrong with that. So, But the problem then becomes is, are we growing? Are we really seeking to, to go beyond perhaps even consuming just one verse a week? And as I mentioned to you last week, if you did that, it's going to take you only 598 years to get through the Bible if you just consume one verse a week. You really got to go deeper in the Word. The 31,000 verses, it's going to take some time and effort to go through the Holy Word of God and understand His will for your life. So one of our favorite family pastimes, and you probably have shared this too, is to, to look through the old family photo albums and, and to even watch family home videos. Yep, we're one of those families. I've got all these recordings of the children having grown up, and it just the kids just love it. It's so much fun. They gather around to watch themselves when they were babies, uh, even the, the younger siblings watching their older siblings as infants as well. So it's astonishing to look back at the lives of our children. It's, it's fun to see them when they were babes and toddlers and couldn't even walk or talk. And, and back then, we didn't expect much of them. They, they, after all, they were children. They were babies even. So there's nothing wrong with being a baby, but to remain a baby all of your life is not healthy. Something is terribly wrong if we're not maturing, if we're not growing up in our faith. And that was the case in Corinth. So Paul is writing them approximately five years after he began his ministry there. And by this time, the Corinthians should have become somewhat more of mature spiritual children, teenagers, or even young adults by then. And instead, they're still babes. So Three times in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul uses the word as or hosts to state that he's not able to address the Corinthians as spiritual people 
but as merely carnally minded, still infants in Christ. And the word as introduces this distinctive characteristic of, of a person. And, and hence, while Paul labeled the Corinthians as napios, which is this infants, he appears confident that they're indeed in Christ. So they are Christians. It's clear that the Corinthians are not thinking or behaving, though, as mature believers. So the term spiritual was pneumaticos, and it denotes people who have received and obey the leading of the Spirit of God. They are temples of the Holy Spirit. They're maturing in that understanding, walking in truth, abiding with the Lord, and the byproduct of such becomes one of obedience. They are producing fruit for the kingdom of God. They are loving, agape loving others as Christ has instructed them to do. So this is not what the Corinthians are demonstrating since Christ reminded us that whom we serve is made evidenced by our fruits, according to Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 20. So Paul cannot address them as spiritual or i.e. as healthy believers. And he possibly could address many of us in the same manner. We've been believers for a long time, and we should be demonstrating it by now. So many Bible students assume that by calling them infants that Paul intends to emphasize their need to grow. And yet Paul contrasts this as not being between infancy and maturity, but between infancy and spirituality. It's more likely that Paul is rebuking his readers, not because they're still young in their faith, but because they were in fact digressing despite their knowledge. They were acting childish and carnal, a condition that's contrary to being spiritual. They had the truth and weren't acting like it. The Spirit was not transforming them from the inside out, and and the world desperately needed to see ambassadors for Christ. And we need to demonstrate that as well. So the problem is not that they have failed to progress in understanding, but that they failed to come together in unity or applying biblical knowledge that they possessed. Thus, they're not living the message of the cross. And you go back to 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 25 on that. And many of us can be, or perhaps feel, guilty as charged. And, and Paul had already praised God for their knowledge and their teaching of the word in 1 Corinthians 1, 5. So this really is an application issue. Many of us have a lot of head knowledge about the Bible, and yet the fruit of our life is not there. The transforming work is not yielding a harvest that is coming out by our actions. We can say the verses, but we're not living the verses. If we're honest, many of us talk a good game. So we're to live a lifestyle that honors God, not just say that we believe it, but do what we say that we believe. So if you're struggling to apply the healthy practices of the words of God in your life, then start simple. Let the Holy Spirit build on it. Read a verse a day. I know I told you not to do that, but do that. Just start there. Let's let's just start with one verse per day. Say at least one prayer per day and, and watch your baby steps becoming strides. So suddenly you find yourself running when before you're barely even walking. So the carnal behavior of the Corinthian church is confirmed here in verses 2 to 4 as Paul moves from the past to the present. Here's what he says, verses 3 to 4, chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, you are not carnal and behaving like mere men. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? So Paul is using this plural pronoun, you, three times. And it indicates that he's addressing the whole church, not just a faction within it, 
as we see in 1 Corinthians 1.10. So the actions of some in the congregation had created a ripple effect of impact through the whole body. And many churches, you probably have felt that from time to time. So in verses 1 and 3, Paul uses two different words for carnal. He uses sarkinos, which is what we see in verse 1, and sarkikos, two times in verse 3. And there is a difference. It's this, sarkinos represents made of flesh. That is weak, but without attaching any blame to the condition, such, such as you were born as an infant. Uh, so, you, so you're made of flesh, you're weak. But sarkikos has an ethical or moral connotation to it. It means to be characterized by the flesh, something that is willfully and blameworthily uh, going backwards, if you will. So, so the first word, it means to be made of flesh, while the second means to be controlled by the flesh. So Paul is shocked that the Corinthians are still on a diet of milk in a spiritual sense. And if we're working for the kingdom, then we need solid food to sustain us. Now, in a physical sense, if you're working out in the gym, your body needs sustenance, protein, and lots of it. You, you can't get the right sustenance on milk alone. Why? Well, there are a number of factors, but let, let's just look at the most obvious one. A, a glass of milk will give you only eight grams of protein. If you're working out your body to support lean muscle, you will need 0.8 to 1.2 grams of protein for every pound of your body. That means for me, ex for example, I need to consume between 152 to 230 grams of protein per day if I'm active in putting my body to work. So I need some solid food to support an active lifestyle. And a six-ounce steak, for example, will give me 42 grams of protein. But if I'm only drinking milk, listen to this, I would have to drink 29 glasses of milk or two gallons every day. And then I create a whole set of other problems, especially since uh, this would not be a balanced approach given the variances in protein types. So bottom line, if you're putting your body to work, it needs the right kind of fuel and the right kind of ingredients. And likewise, from a spiritual aspect, since we are called to be people of active service for the kingdom, according to James 2, 17 to 19 and John 15, 1 to 11, that means we're supposed to be working out our faith, according to Philippians 2, 12 to 13. And that requires solid food, spiritual food. So we're, we're supposed to be working out this faith, putting it to work. That means that our spirit needs to be fueled in order to do that. There, there have been ample time for these spiritual attitudes and actions to develop. By now, these, these Christians here in Corinth should have been spiritual, mature warriors for the truth. But they're still acting like fleshly infants. And so Paul expected them to be able to receive solid food, and yet uh, they're still on Gerber. So the solid food is not necessarily advanced in, in, in complicated doctrine, like we seem to think that they should be studying Revelation and should have full knowledge of it, even though the book of Revelation hadn't yet been written. Uh, but yet, well, that's what we would think, right? That they, they'd be experts in the complicated layers of the Holy Word, and, and so therefore they would need to be experts in deeper doctrine of truth, but rather living by the Word of the Cross, applying what they already knew. So again, this is an application of knowledge issue. The food is in the cupboards, but these Christians are skipping the food and grabbing that sippy cup instead. So Paul uses a similar metaphor in, in Hebrews chapter 5, where we read in verses 12 to 14, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, 
You need someone to teach you again for the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age, that is, those by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So three times in this verse, Paul references, and yes, I believe Paul is the author of Hebrews, that the illustrative comparison of solid food in contrast with milk is that those who partake only of milk are those who are unskilled with the the, the word of God, Not, not untrained in it, but those who are not putting the knowledge to use and being exercised. This is calling attention to the lack of application of the Word of God in their personal lives. Now, for 15 years, I, I was really, I did kendo and a little bit of Viarnese jiu-jitsu. And kendo, which is a stick fighting, that, that was my passion. And, and this can cause someone to feel a sense of confidence when facing a, a potentially physical conflict issue that may arise before them. And, and this confidence here was to was put to test. I I, uh, I was actually put to test with a jujitsu instructor, and he, he goes to our church, Glenn, and uh, he would ask to roll with us. So here I was, this kendo guy, and I put a little bit of effort into jujitsu, and I had this artificial sense of confidence. And here Glenn, who was an instructor for jujitsu over at Fort Carson, now going to our church pulls out all the mats and decides that he wants to do a study with us every Thursday at our church. And I was, I was humbled to do this with him. But, but uh, what he did was actually put me into a pretzel and, uh, and, and out uh, came the, the, the reality that I actually hadn't put all that knowledge that I had to real application. It really hadn't been tested like I thought. In my mind, I would have been this uh, this stud warrior that would have walked into the ring and been able to, you know, put down a, a pretty good presentation of my skills. But in reality, since he had used his skills on the battlefield, his application of what he knew was far superior to what my application was. Despite the fact that all of these years of learning it, it hadn't really been put to practical application in a real-life situation. And I think that many of us can go through that when we sit in the comfort of a classroom in church time and time again, but rarely find ourselves being stretched in the battlefield where we have to share our faith where we have to stand for Christ. We even have to give a, a reason, a, an answer for the hope that is in us, as Peter calls us to do. So you may have learned a few Bible verses in Sunday school or even Awana, but your application of the word is not what it should be. Your life is upside down in debts, relational strife, and, and, and language unbecoming of a believer. And all of this is byproduct of carnal decisions. So you've got head knowledge that's not being applied in your life. Now, James cut right to the chase on this issue in James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. He says, But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. This is important to understand because many people think they are mature and that they know the Bible, that they're deep thinkers. While knowledge is certainly valuable, listen, 
Obedience is far more important. We must recognize that our attitudes and actions are a greater indication of spirituality than our ability to memorize scripture, study the Bible, and talk theologically. If you're talking like you know the Bible while you berate your spouse or speak rudely to others, then your knowledge makes you no better than a Wikipedia, and you're being a poor example of what it means to be a selfless servant of the Most High. Now, my daughter... She was a manager over at Tinseltown here in Colorado Springs for a while, no longer there. But while she was there, uh, she had seen a lot. In fact, uh, when a a particular movie had come out, some R-rated film, there was actually a fist fight that broke out in in one of the theaters. And and they had to stop the movie and refund all the patrons for it. And she could candidly tell you, though that the worst group that she ever had to serve at the movie theater, a group had reserved an entire auditorium, and they were by far the worst to the employees and still have a reputation to this day. Guess what kind of group it was? Not the R-rated movie attenders that they've dealt with time and time again, but this reserved auditorium was reserved by a church group to go see God's Not Dead 2. And they treated the staff horribly. So much so, they still talk about it to this day. How unfortunate that an opportunity to be witnesses for Christ was lost. They should have been the best, most well-behaved ambassadors for Christ. They could have been to make the best example to all of the employees. It didn't matter if it was the usher cleaning the aisles. They should have been treated with agape love to demonstrate the transformational ingredients of the whole Holy Spirit working in and through each life that was present in that auditorium. Now, granted, it doesn't mean that every attendee that came through that church group was indeed a Christian. We know from Matthew chapter 7 that many can say that they're Christians and not behave as such. In fact, not even be known by God. Just because they claim the title doesn't mean the revelation of the the transforming work of the Holy Spirit is in them. So my daughter was was having to apologize to all of her non-believing co-workers that that's not how Christians really act. So in this context here, as we've read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, behaving in the flesh means living in in opposition to God or in disunity within the church. So even though they could be believers, their beloved believers, fellow believers, they still are living a lifestyle that's contrary to the very work of God the Father, Jesus Christ our Lord, working in the Holy Spirit through us. So, so later in his letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18, Paul uses the term schisma, which is about division or dissension. Uh, th- this is to describe the results of their internal strife that is reflected in this church. And so much to Paul's chagrin, the Corinthians were, were behaving like unbelievers. Can it happen? Yes, it does. And we read in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 to 9, and Ephesians 5 on that. They have the Spirit, but at this junction, this particular point in their life, they're neither thinking nor acting as if they do. So let's go to verse 3. In verse 3, Paul brings up two sins that can destroy the church, envy, i.e. jealousy, or strife, which can also be known as conflict. And these sins is that they are considered serious sins in the church today. They shouldn't just be overlooked. It's just like how we often handle gossip. Gossip will destroy your church. We cannot overlook that. And we talked about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And these are serious issues. This is not the only time 
that Paul will address this. In fact, he addresses it in Romans chapter 13, verses 12 to 14, where we read, Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, and put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So these are the exact Greek words found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. The order is merely reversed. So Paul is addressing the same thing, the, church, the Romans, the Roman audience, as well as this church here in Corinth. So this, this is a, a, a serious issue that he's addressing what happens when the flesh starts to dominate our thoughts again. And we know what the, the flesh produces according to Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. And we know what the Spirit will also produce. So it's important that we understand this. The reason why we call attention to this and why we study the verses like we do is because we have to recognize when there's an imbalance going on. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7. He builds it up in Romans 6, but really talking about the fact that in him is a battle going on. The flesh is going to want to dominate our thoughts, and we behave like the flesh, or we give into the work of the Spirit, and we embrace what the Spirit is doing, and we buffet the body, we discipline it, conform it to the image of Christ, let it, lest it dominate our thoughts, unless we start producing the, the fruits of darkness. We don't belong to this world. We belong to Jesus Christ our Lord, and whatever we produce must bring glory to Him and His kingdom work. That's why we see that in Matthew chapter. 6. Let thy will be done, thy kingdom come. So we examine this to see what is the really the fruit of our walk with God. Will people be able to tell immediately that we belong to him? Even the unbelievers who look skeptically at us, who are judgmental towards us, waiting for us to fall, because if we claim what we claim, then they better see the result of it, right? So they're holding us to a higher standard, it's time that we hold ourselves to that higher standard. Lord, purify our, our thoughts. May, may the meditations of our thoughts, may the, the fruit of our lips bring you glory. May we walk in your ways. May it be evidenced before the world that they may see our good deeds and ultimately praise him, not us. That he and he alone receive the glory. Anything good that comes out of us is because of him anyway. I hope you've been encouraged. Again, we're just getting started here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We've got a long way to go, so keep tuning in here and uh, stay with us through this Engage in Truth program as we study 1 Corinthians. And I also want to encourage you to please check us out online at calvaryfountain.com. This is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley right here in Colorado Springs. Services are at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sunday. We'd love to worship with you. Again, our website, calvaryfountain.com. Com. Go back and re-listen to this broadcast and others. Watch the sermons online, and I hope you are so encouraged you share it with others. God bless you, my friends. We'll see you next week.